Uh, we give a warm welcome to everyone this evening to <coughs> public worship, both to those in the building here and to those who are joining with us online. Let's begin our worship by singing to God's praise in Psalm number 1. It's page 200 of the Psalter, and it's the beginning of the song. That man hath perfect blessedness, who walketh not astray in counsel of ungodly men, nor stands in sinners' way, <clears throat> nor sitteth in the scorner's chair, but placeth his delight upon God's law, and meditates on his law day and night. And we understand the law of God to be the whole of his revelation to us, everything that's contained within the Bible. Let's sing the whole song to God's praise. That man hath perfect blessedness. <clears throat> Yeah. 
Let's join together in prayer. Let's pray. O Lord our God, as we come before you this night, we thank you for the song we have been singing. It reminds us that this world is divided into two very distinct groups of people this night. Those who are righteous and those who are wicked. But the truth is we have all been born in sin and we are all shapen in iniquity and we are all wicked. But the glory of this revelation you have given to us is that we can be made righteous with the righteousness that Christ gives to us. We pray that we would rejoice anew this night in that glorious salvation that you have provided for sinners such as uh, we are. We pray that we would be in your word, that we would be studying it and searching it day by day so that we would build up an ability to take on the enemy of our souls when he comes in against us like a flood. We realize that not even on this day, your day, nor in this place which is your house, does he leave us alone. We live in a theater of spiritual warfare. And our cry tonight to you is to please help us. Because we cannot withstand the foe. He is described as uh, the prince of the power of the air. And uh, we cannot in our own strength take him on. But we thank you that there is somebody who defeated him at a place called Golgotha. And we pray that we would remember that the wages of sin is death. And we will all die for the exact same reason. We are sinners. But the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. We thank you for that righteousness you provide for your people. That enables them to inherit eternal life. In a place that is far better than anything we've known in this world. We thank you for the hope that gives us in a dark world and in a chaotic world. We pray, O oh Lord, that you'd remember us. We pray particularly for those in our congregation who are mourning the loss of loved ones. We think of Catherine Urquhart as she mourns the, the passing of her sister Louise. We pray that you'd sustain her and the rest of the family and indeed all others who are uh, struggling with the hand of death visiting their family circles in recent times. We remember others who would be here with us tonight if they could but who cannot. Bless those who are ill. There are many in the congregation who are ill in hospital homes or indeed at home. The blessing we seek for ourselves, we seek for them also. And we pray that this night, O oh Lord, that we would remember that that song we have been singing talks of the wicked being blown about like the chaff, going one way one moment and another way the next. But we thank you that when we know your word and your spirit indwells within us, we know what is right and wrong, and we know that the resoluteness that you can give us will enable us to stand in the day of difficulty and in the day of trial. 
And this is a day of difficulty and trial. We pray for our nation at this juncture in its history. And indeed we pray in particular for Ali and Kate this time that you would sustain them and give them the wisdom that they need to stand in the midst of the fray. We pray that you'd have mercy upon us as a nation because we have so turned our backs on you in particular in recent years legislation. We pray that we would remember that it is righteousness alone that exalts a nation. May we look to you and uh, your revelation to us. And we pray that around the globe, wherever there are those in positions of power who are abusing that power, that they would be brought to naught. And that you would raise up those who would uh, point us in the direction that would not only honour God, but that would cause the blessing to fall upon us that comes from honouring a God. We thank you for many blessings we have this night. As we look around this world and look to the Ukraine and Turkey and Syria and Greece and indeed many other examples where people's lives have been so utterly devastated, may we stop and reflect and give thanks for many things that so often we just so take so for granted. So be with us, we pray, Lord, and be with our loved ones, wherever they might be across this globe this night. We pray that we will be together, not only in this world, but in the world beyond this one, <clears throat> because we have trusted in Jesus <clears throat> as our friend and saviour. Bless us all, and all we ask is in Christ's name. Amen. <clears throat> Now let's sing again to God's praise. This time it's in Psalm 139, and that's on page 432 of the Psalter, and it's at the beginning of the song. O Lord, Thou hast me searched and known. Thou knowest my sitting down and rising up, yea, all my thoughts afar to Thee are known. My footsteps... And my lying down thou compassest always, thou also most entirely art acquaint with all my ways. We'll sing verses say, 1 to 6 of Psalm 139. <laughs> o Lord, thou hast me searched and known.
Now let's read God's word as we find it in 1 Samuel and at chapter 17. And we'll read at the beginning of the chapter. Now the Philistines gathered their armies for battle. And they were gathered at Socho, which belongs to Judah, and encamped between Socho and Azekah in Ephesdamim. And Saul and the men of Israel were gathered and encamped in the valley of Elah, and drew up in line of battle against the Philistines. <coughs> the Philistines stood on the mountain on one side, and Israel stood on the mountain on the other side with a valley between them. And there came out from the camp of the Philistines a champion named Goliath of Gath, whose height was six cubits and a span. He had a helmet of bronze on his head, and he was armed with a coat of mail, and the weight of the coat was five thousand shekels of bronze. And he had bronze armor on his legs, and a javelin of bronze slung between his shoulders. The shaft of his spear was like a weaver's beam, and his spear's head weighed six hundred shekels of iron. And his shield-bearer went before him. He stood and shouted to the ranks of Israel, Why have you come out to draw up for battle? Am I not a Philistine, and are you not servants of Saul? Choose a man for yourselves, and let him come down to me. If he is able to fight with me and kill me, then we will be your servants. But if I prevail against him and kill him, then you shall be our servants and serve us. And the Philistines said, I defy the ranks of Israel this day. Give me a man that we may fight together. When Saul and all Israel heard these words of the Philistine, they were dismayed and greatly afraid. Now David was the son of an Ephrathite of Bethlehem and Judah named Jesse, who had eight sons. In the days of Saul, the man was already old and advanced in years. The three oldest sons of Jesse had followed Saul to the battle, and the names of his three sons who went to the battle were Eliab the firstborn, and next to him Abinadab and the third Shammah. David was the youngest. The three eldest followed Saul, but David went back and forth from Saul to feed his father's sheep at Bethlehem. For forty days the Philistine came forward and took his stand, morning and evening. And Jesse said to David his son, Take for your brothers an ephah of this parched grain and these ten loaves, and carry them quickly to the camp to your brothers. Also take these ten cheeses to the commander of their thousand. See if your brothers are well, and bring some token from them. Now Saul and they and all the men of Israel were in the valley of Elah fighting with the Philistines. And David rose early in the morning and left the sheep with a keeper and took the provisions and went as Jesse had commanded him. And he came to the encampment as the host was going out to the battle line shouting the war cry. And Israel and the Philistines drew up for battle, army against army. And David left the things in charge of the keeper of the baggage and ran to the ranks and went and greeted his brothers. 
As he talked with them, behold, the champion, the Philistine of Gath, Goliath by name, came up out of the ranks of the Philistines and spoke the same words as before. And David heard him. All the men of Israel, when they saw the man, fled from him and were much afraid. And the men of Israel said, Have you seen this man who has come up? Surely he has come up to defy Israel. And the king will enrich the man who kills him with great riches and will give him his daughter and make his father's house free in Israel. David said to the men who stood by him, What shall be done for the man who kills this Philistine and takes away the reproach from Israel? For who is this uncircumcised Philistine that he should defy the armies of the living God? And the people answered him in the same way, So shall it be done to the man who kills him. Now Eliab, his oldest brother, heard when he spoke to the men, And Eliab's anger was kindled against David, and he said, Why have you come down? And with whom have you left these few sheep in the wilderness? I know your presumption and the evil of your heart, for you have come down to see the battle. And David said, What have I done now? Was it not but a word? And he turned away from him towards another and spoke in the same way, and the people answered him again as before. When the words that David spoke were heard, they repeated them before Saul, and he sent for him. David said to Saul, Let no man's heart fail because of him. Your servant will go and fight with this Philistine. And Saul said to David, You are not able to go against this Philistine to fight him, for you are but a youth, and he has been a man of war from his youth. But David said to Saul, Your servant used to keep sheep for his father. And when there came a lion or a bear and took a lamb from the flock, I went after him and struck him and delivered him, delivered it out of his mouth. And if he arose against me, I caught him by his beard and struck him and killed him. Your servant has struck down both lions and bears, and this uncircumcised Philistine shall be like one of them, for he has defied the armies of the living God. And David said, The Lord who delivered me from the paw of the lion and from the paw of the bear will deliver me from the hand of this Philistine. And Saul said to David, Go, and the Lord be with you. Then Saul clothed David with his armor. He put a helmet of bronze on his head and clothed him with a coat of mail. And David strapped his sword over his armor. And he tried in vain to go, for he had not tested them. Then David said to Saul, I cannot go with these, for I have not tested them. So David put them off. Then he took his staff in his hand and chose five smooth stones from the brook and put them in his shepherd's pouch. His sling was in his hand and he approached the Philistine. And the Philistine moved forward and came near to David with his shield bearer in front of him. And when the Philistine looked and saw David, he disdained him, for he was but a youth, ruddy and handsome in appearance. And the Philistine said to David, Am I a dog that you come to me with sticks? The Philistine cursed David by his gods. 
The Philistine said to David, Come to me and I will give your flesh to the birds of the air and to the beasts of the field. Then David said to the Philistine, You come to me with a sword and with a spear and with a javelin, but I come to you in the name of the Lord of hosts, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you have defied. This day the Lord will deliver you into my hand, and I will strike you down and cut off your head. And I will give the dead bodies of the host of the Philistines this day to the birds of the air and to the wild beasts of the earth, that all the earth may know that there is a God in Israel, and that all his assembly may know that the Lord saves not with sword and spear. For the battle is the Lord's, and he will give you into our hand. When the Philistine arose and came and drew near to meet David, David ran quickly towards the battle line to meet the Philistine. David put his hand in his bag and took out a stone and slung it and struck the Philistine on his forehead. The stone sank into his forehead and he fell on his face to the ground. So David prevailed over the Philistine with a sling and with a stone and struck the Philistine and killed him. There was no sword in the hand of David. Then David ran and stood over the Philistine and took his sword and drew it out of its sheath and killed him and cut off his head with it. Then the Philistines saw that their champion was dead. When the Philistines saw that their champion was dead, they fled. And the men of Israel and Judah rose with a shout and pursued the Philistines as far as Gath and the gates of Ekron, so that the wounded Philistines fell on the way from Sharem as far as Gath and Ekron. And the people of Israel came back from chasing the Philistines, and they plundered their camp. And David took the head of the Philistine and brought it to Jerusalem, but he put his armor in his tent. As soon as Saul saw David go out against the Philistine, he said to Abner, the commander of the army, Abner, whose son is this youth? And Abner said, As your soul lives, O king, I do not know. And the king said, Inquire whose son the boy is. And as soon as David returned from the striking down of the Philistine, Abner took him and brought him before Saul with the head of the Philistine in his hand. And Saul said to him, Whose son are you, young man? And David answered, I am the son of your servant Jesse, the Bethlehemite. Amen, and may God bless to us that reading from his word. Let's join together again in prayer. O Lord, our God, as we read these passages of Scripture, we pray that we would take time to ponder and to reflect what's going on. It's amazing that the men who were commanding the army of Israel had no idea whatsoever who this man who would be the champion of Israel was. Indeed, even within his own family circle, he seems to have been deemed insignificant and not worthy of being considered to be the next king of Israel. We realize that in the history of the church there are people who come out of the shadows sometimes and who become great champions. We think of the Easter story that we were exploring this morning and 
when it came to the time of giving Christ our Lord decency and dignity in burial. Out from the shadows comes Joseph of Arimathea, who followed Jesus secretly for fear of the Jews. And sometimes we have to be as wise, indeed at all times we have to be as wise as serpents and as harmless as doves. And so we pray that you would give us those in the leadership of our church and in the leadership of our nation, those who would indeed be as wise as serpents and as harmless as doves. May we remember that a slingshot with a smooth pebble is sufficient in the hands of the eternal God to deal with a formidable foe. We realize that there are many formidable foes up and down the length and breadth of all the nations of this world. But at the end of the day, you are the Almighty God and you reign supreme. And the psalm writer can say, Why rage the heathen and vain things? Why do the people mind? We realize that in every day and age and generation there have been those who have sought to dethrone you. But he that in heaven sits shall laugh. The laughter of ridicule. Simply because we are men and you are God. So help us to remember that and as we turn to explore the pages of scripture this night please be with us and help us to learn from you and give us the strength we need to go on in whatever path of life you have deemed we should go in and all we ask is in Christ's name. Amen. Now let's continue to sing in the same song Psalm 139 it's page 432 of the Psalter it's at verse 7 from thy spirit whither shall I go or from thy presence fly ascend I heaven lo thou art there there if in hell I lie take I the morning wings and dwell in utmost parts of sea even there Lord shall I hand me lead thy right hand hold shall me verses 7 to 12 from thy spirit whither shall I go
Psalms. We're actually going to look at it in the Scottish Psalter version, Psalm 25, the first version. And we're going back to the verses that we sought to explore last Lord's Day at verse 18. See mine affliction and my pain and all my sins forgive. Consider thou my foes because they many are and it a cruel hatred is which they against me bear. Now let's, by God's enabling, seek to explore something of this area of Scripture. Here's a song written by David 3,000 years ago. And he tells about his affliction and he tells about his pain. There is nothing straightforward about, at one level at any rate, about believing in God and following God. Because the moment you believe it opens a floodgate of opposition and enmity that comes from all kinds of uh, of angles. And David's affliction and David's pain is bound up with his foes because they many are and it a cruel hatred is which they against me uh, bear. Now we're not certain as to what he's exactly talking about the given circumstance uh, in this particular song but we can go back to 1 Samuel 17 and we can explore a great deal there about the opposition and the enmity that David faced and uh, we are going to look this night again at some more of it. Now for those who were at the prayer meeting not last Wednesday but the prior Wednesday some of what I'm going to say is going to sound very familiar but uh, I'm going back to these things uh, once once again. And uh, we noticed last week that uh, there's this major problem amongst the people of God, the Israelites, and their major enemies, the Philistines. And the Philistines have one major asset amongst their ranks, and that is this man, Goliath of Gath. He seems to have been a formidable warrior. And uh, he's on one side of the valley and the Israelites are on the other side of the valley. And he's shouting across at them, pick a man and we'll sort out this man to man, one to one. And he is there in the eyes of David, defying not just the Israelites, but defying the the, the God of Israel. And uh, David is deeply, deeply uh, concerned about that. But I want us to look this evening at a particular area of opposition that David is facing. And uh, we find it there in verses 28 and verses 29 of uh, 1 Samuel 17. Now Eliab, his oldest brother, heard when he spoke to the men. And Eliab's anger was kindled against David and he said, Why have you come down? Now that's very interesting because we have already seen that there were some major problems within the family circle. 
Now what's new about that? There isn't a family under the sun that doesn't have problems of one kind or another. And just because people are covenant people and families are believing families, that doesn't mean for one second that things are going to go smoothly and without hiccups in life's journey. If we go back to the pages of the scripture and we go through it, we will find many, many situations where families are struggling with real difficulties. Not just with difficulties in the world out there, but difficulties that are much, much closer to home. And you know, David, when Samuel the prophet was told that he had to anoint the second king of Israel. He knows that it's going to come from the family of this man Jesse. And Jesse had eight sons. And David's the youngest. The oldest comes first, Eliab. And as soon as Samuel sees him, he's a strapping man. He's, he's, um, he's well built and he's a, he, he's a looks like a very good soldier and he looks as if he's the kind of man you would want to have as a king and Samuel thinks this is the man but God says no he's not the man and then the next brother comes and he's, he's equally strapping and he's equally befitting to be a king and so Samuel thinks well this is the man and God says no that's not the man and then the third one comes and the same scenario ensues but he's not the man either and they go through everybody that's there and there's no king amongst them and Samuel is baffled with this and he's saying to Jesse is there any you see, you see God said something to him and he's saying are, are, there, are there any other sons in your family yes yes the teenagers at home the teenagers are home looking after the sheep. And you know, by and by, that teenager would eventually rule over Israel for 40 years. And it's a reminder to us that men look on the outward aspects. And God looks at the heart. And God saw the heart of this young man. And God said, he will be the king. Sometimes God takes the people that we just don't even consider. In fact, sometimes God takes the people that we write off completely. And he makes them significant and he makes them important and he makes them influential. Not that they in and of themselves have got what it takes, but he enables them. There's this two-way thing. Because here is this insignificant teenager at least he's insignificant in the eyes of his family and he's insignificant in terms of the, the leadership in Israel Abner hadn't a clue who he was but God sees who he is and God equips him to do an amazing thing on behalf of the people of God but let's get back to the problems David is facing he is concerned about the general problem of enemies against the people of God but we're not talking about that right now we're talking of something much closer than that you know you can have enemies 
and they've perhaps been opposed to you all your life and you know exactly where you stand with them but there are other people who perhaps have been your friends all your life and you have an expectation of them in the heat of battle to stand by you and to stick with you and they're gone sometimes and sometimes they're gone just to save their own skins it doesn't matter about friendships that's that's just pushed to the side it's all about egotism and it's all about their own um, agendas that's a little more difficult to handle that's a little more difficult to handle than Goliath of Gath but you know sometimes it gets a wee bit closer to home than even friends because this is family and here is Eliab and he's angry with, with David now even in the normal dynamics of a family you are the oldest of eight now you know what it's like when there's a big family they have to look after one another I think I quoted this recently there's a large family through in Dingwall 11 or 13 quids, kids I read this recently uh, I don't know if it was that person it was certainly uh, somebody in another large family if not and they said after three it doesn't make much difference and what they meant was this after you have three children one after the other and the others keep on coming the, other, the older ones look after the younger ones that's the only way that a large family can cope and can, uh, can survive and there's something wonderful and lovely about that kind of setup. So you would expect the oldest brother out of eight to have a special, you know how it's like, the youngest in every family. There's a kind of soft spot for them. And you would have expected the oldest to have a soft spot for David the youngest. That's not happening. That is not happening. Eliab is angry with David. And that for David was very hard to bear because it came from its opposition from the inside it's not the only opposition he's facing but it is opposition from uh, from the from from the inside Eliab's older brother heard when he spoke to the men and Eliab's anger was kindled against David and he said why have you come down and I think what's been driven at there is this. You, insignificant little you, the teenager who's only used to looking after sheep. What on earth are you doing in the thick of battle? What on earth are you doing asking these questions? What are you doing thinking that you can do something about this given situation? You're a nothing, you're a nobody. And you know what? Sometimes that can be very hard to bear. And it can be particularly hard to bear when you're really up against it. When the last thing you need is more opposition and it comes from the inside and it comes from people close to you, it can break people. It can break people. And it's not that David just didn't have a problem with it because he did have a problem with it he was a human being and he was a sensitive human being he was concerned about his brothers out there in the battlefield that's why he takes the the grain and the and the loaves and he takes the cheeses to them it's all about human compassion for not just his family because he took the cheeses to the commanders in the um 
in the Israeli army. Now his father Jesse was bound up with some of that, but it's not Jesse that's taking it to the battlefront, it's David himself. So you can see where he's coming from and to have this anger kindled against him and this underscoring of his insignificance. You're not fit for this. You shouldn't be around here. Well, that was what Eliab was saying. But it goes on. Eliab's anger was kindled against David, and he said, Why have you come down? And with whom have you left those few sheep in the wilderness? You see what's happening here? Not only is David insignificant, he's trying to belittle him. He is trying to belittle him and at the end of the day to get him out of the way. Because yes, David was looking after the sheep. And I say this so often, it's amazing how many times God takes people who spend a long period of time looking after animals, cattle, sheep or or whatever. Because, you know, you learn a lot. You do learn a lot when you're interacting with animals. You know... I don't know how often I've heard people say stupid sheep. Sheep are not stupid. You know, when I was born and bred in the West, in uh, Inverbroom Estate, and uh, um, when the hogs would go home from wintering in the Black Isle, uh, if you were driving along the road and, and you're coming near these sheep who had who had no experience of of um, you know no fences in the west coast and the sheep are free to roam whatever they want and uh, you had to be very careful at that time of year because you could be coming up and and, and a hog would just dart out in front of you uh, without any warning whatsoever. Now. The, the, the older ewes, they would be used to, 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 they would be used to traffic. You know, sometimes on these single roads in the west, you'd come across sheep and they would just sit, and they would sit there all day long and not get out of your road unless you beep the horn or whatever. They knew the, they knew the setup, they knew the score, but these young sheep had no experience with the cat, with the, with the, with the, with them, with vehicles. And for that period, for, you know, for the next few weeks, until they got used to... But people would talk about, oh, that stupid sheep darted out in front of me. There was nothing stupid about the sheep. Um, the sheep was just getting, or the hog was just getting used to, um, to interacting with, uh, with traffic. And there are many, many other things about, uh, about animals. When you live uh, with them at close quarters, you, you begin to see something that most people just, just don't see. So here was, here was David, and he was left with the job of looking after the sheep. But look what Eliab says. And with whom have you left those few sheep? It's as if you're, you're a nobody, you're a nothing, and you look after just a puckle of sheep. And, and, uh, and, and who's looking after them anyway? Now, maybe he was hoping to garner some... L- Headway and, 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 and maybe he thought that nobody was looking after the sheep. 
Well, that would be a black mark against David, but that's not what happened at all. We read that David left somebody in charge of the sheep. It tells us that he was competent, that he was cautious, that he was concerned about the role that he had been given. And you know, that's very interesting. When someone is competent and does a job well when they're at the bottom rung of the ladder of society as they go up the, 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 the rungs of the ladder the competence that they've learned at a lower level will stand them in good stead. there's nothing worse than getting a boss at the top who knows nothing about what the people have to or how the people have to operate uh, down below them David was someone who learned the trade ground up and here is his older brother and he's not only saying he's insignificant he's also trying his best to belittle him how have you come down and with whom have you left those few sheep in the wilderness but it gets worse it gets worse I know your presumption and the evil of your heart now there was nothing presumptuous about David and there was nothing evil about his heart but what is happening here is he is trying to smear this he's only a boy he's only a teenager but he is trying to smear him as best he can David has been very competent in what he's gone about right up to this point in time but if he can be gotten out of the road even if it is by smearing so be it and there's nothing new under the sun in the 21st century this ability to smear others just to get them out of the road so that others can make headway in life whether it's in the church or whether it's in politics or whatever it might be that's the way things go it's a ruthless and it's a cutthroat world that we uh, live in and so it was uh, 3,000 years ago he's presumptuous and he has got an evil heart and nothing could be further from the truth because there was nothing presumptuous about David and he most certainly didn't have an evil heart you know what God said of his heart he is a man after God's own heart that's very very interesting but the way his older brother sees it and the way God sees it are very very different but you know what we've just been singing a song about God's knowledge and God's knowledge is far superior than any other human being's knowledge and what I mean by that is this you know what people look at us and people make assumptions and people most of the time get it completely and utterly wrong why? because they don't know us we present a facade to people we present an outward appearance and that's one thing but you know and I know that we know far more about ourselves than anybody else knows about us we know who we are we know what we are sometimes we want to duck and dive and pretend that that's not what we really are but you know 
It's a good and healthy and wholesome thing to do, just to be upfront and honest with ourselves. We know who we are. I know more about myself than anybody here. You know more than yourself than anybody else here. But you know when it comes to God, he leaves us in the shadows. O Lord, thou hast me searched and known. Thou knowest my sitting down and rising up. I mean, who who knows about how you lifted your head off the pillow this morning? Who will know how you put your head on the pillow again tonight? You. Maybe your spouse. And that's it. But God knows it. And it's not just that he knows our actions. He knows our thoughts as well. And this is an astonishing thing. Before we get words out of our mouths, God knows what these words are going to be. And you think, oh man, this is massive knowledge. The theologians call it the omniscience of God. And it basically means he knows everything about us. And you know, that's a huge problem. God knows everything about me. That's a massive problem. I know who I am, at least to a certain degree, but he knows even more. And you know what? I haven't a leg to stand on before him because I am a sinner. But this book that he has given to us, in it he tells us that he came, or at least Jesus came into this world to help sinners and to save sinners. That's the glory of the gospel. That's the absolute uh, glory of uh, the gospel. So here is Eliab and he thinks he knows his brother. Well, he knows something about his brother, but he turns it all against him. He smears him. But Eliab doesn't know anything remotely like what God knows about about David. But there's more to it uh, than that because he goes on not only to deem him insignificant and try to belittle him and to present him as someone who is untrue. But he says, uh, he says this, for you have come down to see the battle. What's he talking about? Well, you know what Goliath of Gath said? Pick a man from among you. Let's sort this out one to one. And everybody amongst the Israelis are knocking at the knee. They are so afraid. They are trembling. And I think I mentioned this last week because, you know, King Saul was towering above all the other Israelites. He was a tall man. He was a handsome man. He had what it took in the eyes of many to be the leader and to be the king. And so he probably felt a great deal of pressure on him when Goliath is saying, right, pick a man. And the Israelites are saying, well, who can go? Well, how about the king? He's head and shoulders above everybody else. How about the king? But it wasn't just the king who must have been feeling pressure. Elia must have been feeling it as well. Because he's a strapping specimen of a man. He's a fine soldier as well. Why doesn't he go out and take on Goliath? So maybe he felt the pressure of the moment. And his way of getting out of it is this. You've just come down here to watch the battle. You've just come down here to gloat over things. 
You created a huge problem for me and now I'm reacting against you and I'm accusing you of just coming down here to gloat. And you can see it's one thing after another that's coming David's way. But how does David respond eh, to all of this? And David said, what have I done? Now that's interesting. Because that sounds as if there's nothing new in this for David. You know what it's like? You know, maybe the black sheep in the family. The one who's always getting into trouble. And a parent says something and then, what have I done now? And uh, it looks as if there was something of this in the dynamic of, of David's family. What have I done now? But then we come to the next bit. And it, the Hebrew here is difficult to translate. And uh, it's clearly difficult uh, to translate. Was it not but a word? Now if you go to the authorised version... It translates that, is there not a cause? And I think that's a more accurate English translation of the original Hebrew here. Is there not a cause? What have I done now? Is there not a cause? Was there a cause? Of course there was a cause. Whose cause was it? It was God's cause. And here's Goliath of Gath, and he disdains Israel, and he disdains the God of Israel. And that's why David is saying, who is this uncircumcised Philistine that would defy the God of Israel? Who is he? Well, for a lot of them, he's an amazing warrior. And he's got amazing abilities. And we're all absolutely terrified of him. But you see, here is the teenager and he's saying, there is a cause. And he's intimately bound up with a cause. And the cause is God's. And you know the outcome of the story. With a pebble from the brook and a slingshot, he brings down the enemy of the people of God. Now we'll come to that as we continue to explore this psalm. But right now I want us to remember this. You know, from the moment David was anointed king of Israel... It's another 15 years before his second anointing. And that's when the people of the south, Judah, acknowledge him as king. The northern people don't acknowledge him as king at that point. It's another seven and a half years before that happens. So here is a man and God chooses him to be king. But it's not for another 22 and a half years before everyone acknowledges that he's the king. That's a long time. That's a long time. And there is so much that goes on in that period of time. There is just so much that goes on. But none of it's wasted. None of it is wasted. During all that period, and indeed here in the run up to his first anointing, all this is going on, but he is a, like a, a lump of clay in the hand of God, and God's moulding, and God's fashioning, and God's designing, and God's creating a man who will rule over Israel with astonishing competence for 40 years. That's a long time. 
I'm not saying that he got it right during all of his reign. He didn't, and you know that he didn't. But who among us gets it right all the time? We don't. But here is an individual. He has the cause of God at heart. And God sees him. And God likes what he sees. And God oversees it all. And God molds and fashions and brings him to the highest position in the land. And nothing, but nothing at all, is wasted in the hand of an all-designing God. Amen. Let's pray. O Lord, our God, we pray that we will remember who you are. And we pray that as we go through life's journey and face so much difficulty and so much opposition at times, that we would uh, explore this book you have given to us, that we might garner sustenance and succor and solace for our souls. We remember once again those who are uh, feeling the heat of the battle at this time. We remember in particular Ali and Kate. Give them the grace that they need for the moment of the hour. Be with us, we pray. Watch over us and bless us all. And all we ask is in Christ's name. Amen. Let's conclude by singing to God's praise in Psalm 139e and that's found on page 181 of the Psalter it's at verse 13 for you O Lord created me you wove me on your loom my inmost being you have formed within my mother's womb because I'm wonderfully made with all your praise I tell your workmanship is marvellous and this I know full well. Verses uh, 13 to 17 of Psalm 139a. For you, O Lord, created me.
Now may grace, mercy, and peace from Father, Son, and Holy Spirit rest on and abide with each one.